Hey friends, this is Kristen Carey hosting you today on the Living Truth Podcast. And I am so grateful to be here with Clinton and Charity Munoz. Guys, thank you so much for joining me on the Living Truth Podcast today. You're welcome. Thanks for having us. And you pronounced our last name right. So kudos to you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> do people butcher it all the time? Oh, oh all the time. I couldn't butcher. even do it when he told me and we were getting married. I'm like, I am getting married to you and I don't even know how to pronounce my last name. <laughs> how did you say it? How did you say it before he educated you? Say Munaz. Yeah, I think I said Munaz. Munez. Yeah, Munez. Munaz. Munaz. <laughs> you say it right now. That's the important thing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. Well, you guys... You need to know about Charity and Clinton because this is an amazing couple that leads other couples in restoring their marriage after the impact of pornography and other forms of sexual brokenness. They lead courses. They have led so many couples from the place of total despair and disaster into a place of restoration. And that is their wheelhouse. So as we were discussing what to talk about today, we thought the topic of triggers and how do you deal with triggers as a couple in early recovery would be a good topic to cover. So you guys have your own story, which is what brought you into this work. And I'm sure as you share your story, you're talking about triggers a lot with people in early recovery because yeah. you had them yourself. Mm-hmm. So what does a couple do? Like, can you pinpoint a scenario where you guys hit a, a trigger in in early recovery and perhaps how it went badly mm-hmm. versus a time where you hit a trigger and you learned what to do? Mm. So good. So good. I think I love that we're talking about this because I feel like this conversation happens all the time in recovery with couples. And we get this question all the time, like, how do I recover from triggers individually? And then what do I do when he triggers me or vice versa, she triggers him? Because I just feel like triggers is the new word. It's the new, the new thing in recovery. And, um, and it happens individually and it happens as a couple. And we just had no idea what to do. We didn't, first of all, we didn't know how and how and to recover as an individual when we're going through our own personal triggers. And then we didn't know how to support one another when the other person got triggered. And it would just send us in like a spiraling circle and we didn't know how to communicate. Yeah. One of our mentors early on was Debbie Laser from Faithful and True Ministries. And she just talks about a trigger being something that sets off that feeling, that emotion, whether whether it's a thought or it's a sense or something that we see or something that somebody does that we're receiving that just creates that reaction in our body, which means that triggers can be good or bad, right? They can be like a positive thing, like driving by a beach, like, oh man, I remember when we had like our Valentine's day dinner there and we got Domino's pizza because we were broke and we were, uh, we were like, you know, newly dating. And I got like these candles from Dollar Tree and oh, like, that's the fire pit. Like, that's cool. But in recovery, that rarely happens. Like most of the triggers are not positive. And so it's understanding, okay, am I triggered right now? And if I'm triggered, am I going to say or do something that triggers her? Why don't you tell the story about when I came home from therapy and wanted to share something with you? You remember the situation? You go on. And you were in the kitchen. You go on. You, I'm, I'm, now I'm telling the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, tell the whole thing. <laughs> she doesn't remember. All right. We well, got to excuse me. We have my, so many stories. So I just wanted to make sure voice. I was like going to do the right one. <laughs> well, just, just excuse my, uh, my voice for a little bit because it's, it's coming back, but I've lost it over the past couple of weeks. 
we went to a concert and I just sung my little heart out, you know, and I just couldn't <laughs> hold back. Um, and so I lost it. But um, so there, I remember the situation. I mean, there was a lot of moments for sure where there was a negative trigger in what happened. But one of those was when I came home from therapy and I had a great CSAT therapist who was diving into all this childhood trauma and things that really created the addiction in the first place, or at least once you understood was what was down there, it made perfect sense to why I had developed a sexual addiction. And I came home with charity. And I think it's so common for guys and gals. They want their spouse to be that safe person. They want that spouse that they know them the most. Maybe a lot of guys haven't even confessed what they've done to other people. So the wife is the only one that knows. And charity, I, I, I knew that she wanted to be a safe person. We had, we had no established boundaries which is extremely dangerous. Mm -hmm. We had no communication tools. We had no idea how to communicate, when to communicate, what to communicate. So I came home and she could tell that I just was heavy. You know, those women have like that intuition, Kristen, and they're like, what's wrong? <laughs> like, I know something's wrong. What's wrong? And the guy's response is like, I'm fine. I'm good. Like, and she's like, no, you're not. Like, what's wrong? Well, that was, that was probably my intuition of like, don't, don't just come home and unload on her. But that's basically what she was asking for because she's holding a baby in one hand, right? She's trying to like make some macaroni and cheese with the other hand for the kids who are crying and screaming because they're hungry for dinner. And I'm not okay because I'm in this emotional state of like overwhelmed. And she keeps asking like, what's wrong? And I think couples do it all the time because we do care about the other spouse. We want to know what's going on. And so by the third time she says, what's wrong? I just explode. What's wrong? What's wrong? Are you kidding me? Like this thing's happening as a child and I felt these things and when I was in my youth group, I expressed this to my, my pastor and he responded this way. It was terrible. And all these things happened. And, and then of course me, I was so overwhelmed with emotion that I triggered her because what she receives in that, you know, share what you are perceiving yeah. and receiving. Yeah. I think for us wives, when we see our husband so overwhelmed with emotion, we tend to start getting really anxious and freaking out like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, is he, he's going to act out. Is he going to act out? What do I need to do right now so that he doesn't act out? And I'm freaking out and just get so tense and, and just really like, oh my gosh, what do I do? And then it sends me into trigger land and thinking like, Great. Now he's going to act out. He's overwhelmed with emotions. Every time he has been overwhelmed with emotions, he's acted out. So what's going to stop him from acting out right now? And so you just like get consumed with him and his emotions and how to have him not relapse is the goal for the wives. Like, what can I do right now? I don't want you to relapse. Please don't relapse. And you kind of just, I think wives tend to do things if they don't have healthy boundaries um, that they probably shouldn't be doing um, because they take on that responsibility. I think there's a very different role. There's a support role as a wife. And then I think there's this responsibility role, like we're supposed to fix him and it. And I don't think that's, in my opinion, I don't think that's the role that God had designed for us. I think there's, there's two very different roles and we lean more on the lines of how to support him through that trigger yeah. rather than taking it on and fixing it for him. Well, we can't fix it anyways, yep. right? The three yep. C's, we didn't cause it, we can't control it, and we can't cure it. Yep. He's the only one that can handle his emotions in a way that's healthy mm -hmm. and not act out over it. But so it, it's really natural for wives to take that on in an attempt to create safety, but it really is spinning our wheels because we can't stop it. Mm -hmm. yep. And then normally what ends up happening is I think, 
we just get into an argument because now I'm mad and overwhelmed and I can't handle his emotions. And so now he feels defeated and in shame, like, oh, I shouldn't have told her that. I wish she was safe. And so then you just, you end up just creating more um, division in your relationship. I think if you don't have healthy boundaries and you don't know how to support each other in a safe way. And that's where we were. That's, that was really one of the main things that caused division in our relationship and this disconnection. And one of the bigger reasons why we created Restore to More is because we were just like, how do we connect again in recovery? Because it is a whole new language, whole new conversation and world that we're diving into. And we just didn't know how to properly come alongside each other and communicate in healthy ways. Nobody does, right? Mm -hmm. Early recovery, like none of us knows how to regulate those really huge, intense emotions, unless we've done a lot of our own work. And even then, when we've done a lot of our own work in the past, it's like, this is a whole new terrain. And so not that this is possible, you guys, but if you could go back with that same scenario again, mm-hmm. how how would you do it? Like, so that you could have regulated a little bit more probably starting with you, Clinton, right? Like before you even got home and then, yeah. What would you do differently? Yeah. You know, so Charity and I, I mean, a lot of what we created came out of scenarios just like this because I would explode in my emotion and I was just hoping that she would validate, or I'm just hoping that she would just see me and say, man, babe, like, oh my gosh, that had to be so hard. But my expectations were completely off. I expected her to turn off the macaroni and say, I'll finish that later. Go lock the crying kids in the closet and just make me the priority and just be like, hey, wow, you sound like you're so full of pain and emotion right now. Let's just sit down and talk about it. But that's not how she can respond. Early stages of recovery, betrayal, trauma, she's working through it. She's in the beginning process of healing it. There's all these things going on in her mind and her body. And so my my way of voicing my emotion is going to create a very natural response in her that is going to try to keep her safe. So she's going to defend herself. She's going to try to fix me. She's going to do all that. And I think looking back, I just, I just wish we had been educated on what can I expect and how do we do this? Again, it comes down to what do we communicate? How do we communicate it? When do we communicate it? And why are we communicating it? Is it the right content to even communicate to our spouse? And so in our courses, we, we go over this kind of stuff in sessions with couples because it's so important to know, let's set up some boundaries on what that looks like. Looking back, it, 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 you can't prevent me necessarily having those emotions after a therapy session, right? You can't, you can't control a trigger. You can't control an emotion. But we are responsible for what we do with those emotions and how we act on it. And so it's really going, have I even understood the principles that should be in place in order to come home and not create division in our relationship, but actually use this painful moment to create connection. Mm-hmm. Because that's kind of what we all we talk about all the time in Restore to More is that the most painful things, they're they're so hard. But if we do them, if we navigate them the right way, they actually rebuild and not even rebuild, but build intimacy in a brand new way that a couple's maybe never experienced. And so what, what we can look at is, oh, this is trying to break us apart and defeat us. Well, it can actually be used for such an amazing good and such an incredible connection that we probably never had in the relationship. So looking back, I wish I had regulated that in my car on the way home and called somebody from a support system, talked to somebody else first. We talk, it's so big to regulate elsewhere. And our spouse comes after we've done that. 
we talk about letting her know where we're at in a very appropriate way. And that's what we're going to communicate. Hey, I'm overwhelmed with emotion right now. And I've already called so-and-so and and maybe so-and-so. And I'd love to talk to you about it, but I can tell right now you're crazy busy. And I'd love to involve you when the time is right. And that's why we talk about having weekly check-ins and daily check-ins that are set that are times that are set aside for proper communication. And then once we've regulated that elsewhere, when we come together, there are certain structures for communication that we like to use so that a couple can really dive into the emotions versus just the reporting of what happened. Mm. And really, you know, let, let's connect on the pain. Let's connect on, on what the emotions are that we're feeling. Let's make sure she's, she's able to listen at the right time when she can actually be in a headspace. Let's make sure our prefrontal cortex is on and all that. So there's, there's a lot to it, yeah. but I, I don't think it's very complicated. You just got to learn it and implement it every time you communicate, especially for the first probably six months to a year when you're in the very early stages of recovery. Right. Because the earlier on in recovery, the the more triggers there are. I mean, certainly yeah. if, a, if, if the person with the unwanted sexual behavior stops their acting out early on, and a couple gets into good recovery and the betrayed partner learns how to regulate, triggers can become less and less over time. They may spike during like anniversaries or during specific instances, but the intensity and the frequency tends to space out over time. Mm -hmm. So many of our listeners I know are in early recovery and they just found out they're not even sure they really know everything. And the, let's say, one member of the coupleship is really in good recovery, like say the betrayed spouse, but the the person with the sexual addiction is not. What do you guys recommend for a wife who is spiraling in her terror of what is happening and she's triggered all kinds, Mm -hmm. but the husband in his own shame, in his own denial is shut down and is not able to be there for her. Yeah. Um, I think this is, this is where a huge support system needs to come in. And um, we are big on just having safe people in your corner, right? Um, there's a difference between having community and having safe community. Um, you may have tons of friends, but you may not have safe friends. And what we mean by that is somebody who's not going to judge you or your situation, somebody who's not going to criticize you, somebody who's not going to give you advice, they are there to sit with you in the sec, to empathize with you, and just to be a shoulder to cry on, you know, and to be angry with, and and they just sit with you. And I think that is so important for women to have. And I think that there's a lot of shame especially in the beginning. I mean, there, I think there are multiple facets as to why a woman would be fearful of reaching out for community or safe friends. Um, I know for me, number one, there was a lot of shame. There was shame in um, them judging me. There was shame that they wouldn't be my friend anymore, um, that they would tell me to get a divorce. There was also the fear of um, just what the enemy was telling me that this is Clinton and, and his mess and you can't tell anyone. And I would encourage anybody who's listening right now, like if you have not told anyone, please tell someone, because I believe that you will see God show up in miraculous ways when you do that. And you will, you will find those safe people and you will meet, I believe you'll meet with Jesus when you meet with that safe person, because God's going to speak through them and just, comfort you in ways that you never knew that you needed, but totally necessary for healing and growth. And I remember 
there was times in, in our journey where I did not share because I just kept on believing the lie that this is Clinton's story. And yes, it's his addiction. Yes, it was his sin, but it was our story because it was totally affecting me and impacting me in my health, in my spirituality, in our relationship, and as me as a person. And I was dying inside. I mean, your body keeps the score. And so the more you internalize, the more your body is going to start responding if you don't start telling people. Mm -hmm. And so I would encourage just women to find, you know, you could have one to three safe people. So, and you know, a great option, feel free, dear listener to email me, Kristen K R I S T I N C at living dash truth.org and tell me, because I'm not going to judge you. And I do have a free private Facebook group just for betrayed partners. And so I would love to add you to that where women can encourage each other and you can just kind of watch it. You don't have to like participate if you don't want to in the beginning, because it is really scary. Like charity said to tell people, but when you tell somebody that, you know, has been there and you can hear the care and the concern in their voice, that they're not going to judge you. It really is the first step towards healing and liberation. So So thank God in your guys' story, Clinton was ready and willing to, um, recover. And so I love that we started by sharing where Clinton shared some of how you got triggered, right? Cause gosh, that is a common thing for both partners in the relationship. So can you guys tell us about a time where charity, you were triggered, like the trigger started with you say, I think some of the most common triggers for partners are, um, seeing stuff out in in the world, like driving by a beach. You use that as a positive example earlier, but driving by beaches and pools can be a huge trigger for partners where there's women walking around in bikinis and whatnot, or billboards or movies. Oh my gosh. Even like the name of an old acting out partner can be a trigger. I mean, there's so many ways in which the betrayed partner gets triggered. Would you like to share one? Yeah. Charity, and then how you guys navigated it. If, if there was a time where, where you had a trigger and Clinton actually was able to enter into it with you. Yeah, I would love to. Um, I, you know, I love what you shared. There's so many, I think there's so many different stages of triggers and how you respond. And, um, there would be times where, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of things triggered. I'm walking in a mall, you walk past the laundry store and I'm triggered immediately. You know, there's even, I'm driving through a city, a city I know Clinton acted out in. I'm like tense the whole time, right? And I think a lot of times, I think one of the most important things I want to share with your listeners is, you know, just starting to identify that you were being triggered is a huge first step. Because I think a lot of times I'd be triggered, didn't know that I was triggered and I'd be irritable, anxious, angry, and we'd get in arguments. And I'm like, gosh, what happened? Like what set me off? And it would go back to this trigger that I didn't even realize that was a trigger for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think too, just before you share your story, the reason why we, we, we took our focus with restore to more right away was educating the couple on what it looks like is because I think that most guys really believe that our wives are trying to be controlling mm-hmm. or they're just angry at us. They're trying to get back at us for ruining their lives. And, and it's not that we haven't done that. I mean, I mean, parts of it are like, gosh, I feel like I felt in the beginning I'd ruined Charity's life. But I think that most of us men are just totally uneducated about really how they are seeking safety versus trying to have control. That it's all centered 
around being safe and asking, am I safe? Is my relationship safe? Is my husband safe? Is he prioritizing me or is he still using? And there's just so much unknown because it's such a secret life that we can lead. And so I just think it's so important that, that whether whoever it is is leading the relationship, if the wife is able to say, Hey babe, are you, are you willing to, <clears throat> are you willing to get educated on this on betrayal trauma with me so that you can understand why I'm responding the way I do. And also, and also take an interest and go, man, are you, can I, can I also at the same time learn about sexual addiction to understand what you're going through? Because I just think that, and what we find over and over again is that couples, they're just not connecting because they have no idea how to interpret the behavior of their spouse. They don't know why they're doing what they're doing. And I do think that most men, if they have a repentant heart, big deal there. If they have that, they do want to help their wife. But there is a battle because they don't know if their wife is just angry all the time. Are they angry at them? Are they mad at them? Are they trying to control their behavior? They don't trust them anymore. What is this all about? And I think that we can change that script into going, hey, actually, it's not about that. Let's understand how you guys can partner together towards restoration, how you can actually get on the same page and take a journey together, helping each other, assisting each other. It doesn't mean you're each other's accountability partner. It doesn't mean you're the safe person right away. But, but you, at least you can understand what they're going through so you can have a response that is helpful instead of harmful and hurtful to the relationship. Mm. So good. Um, so yeah, so there, there's a story, um, that we like to share. And so, uh, yeah, one, you gotta tell this one. This is a good one. One night, um, Clinton went out to go play tennis and he went, he would always go at nighttime with some of his guys. Uh, well, nighttime is already triggering for me because that's normally when he acted out. And, um, I was used to this routine. I know he would go play and, um, he would go have fun. Well, he would normally come home at a certain time. So I look at the clock and I'm at home and it's past the time that he would normally be playing. And I know that the lights turn off at the tennis court at a certain time. And so I, I'm just starting to feel a little anxious. He hasn't texted me back. He hasn't called me. And so I start to call him and it goes straight to voicemail. And then I'm texting him. They're not going through. And then uh, we had Life 360 on our phones and I go on Life 360 and it is disabled. Like it's off. And I lost it. Oh yeah. I'm like, that is a massive trigger. I'm oh like, my gosh. Oh my gosh. He's gone. He's acting out. How dare him? I can't believe he turned all these, these things off. I'm pacing in our bedroom. Like what I'm going to say to him, um, how he's out of the house. He's gone. How could he do this? How dare him? And, um, and I'm so anxious. I'm so triggered. I mean, I am on triggered planet. Like there is no, I, I already went down the spiral. I'm there. I, there's no, I can't get off. Right. And so Clinton comes home and he's feeling good. He's smiling. He's like, all like, Oh, that was so, and I'm like, I came home. Like I had a great release. I had a great active sport. I'm pretty sweaty from tennis. Yeah. Maybe you should rephrase that. I had a great release. Yeah, I thought that as well, well. that's true. Yeah. Great release. That's a good point. I had a great release. I had a great mental release. There was that's no sexual. sexual release with those guys at tennis. <laughs> Thought, I'm so glad you said that because I thought that I was like, that was probably not That's the so best funny. verbiage for what you, you mean. Like you caught it too, Charity? Oh, Did for you catch sure. It? Oh, for sure. I'm like, 
I'm so glad you like didn't, you didn't even like put your hand on my leg and like ooh, like well, squeeze she it. She said you know? it so it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So yeah, he comes home and he's all excited and um he's just all happy. And he immediately when he looks at my face, he's oh, like, oh, oh boy, I'm in trouble. And I was Did like, you Where? know, Clinton, when you saw her face, did you know right away why or no? I had no idea what was going on. Okay. We walk in and you're met with like a beast, you know, like a roaring lion ready to bite Yeah, you felt it. Oh, and she just this look of like, I'm going to eat you alive. And you're you're just like, like, oh, crap. Like you're trying to go through your brain. Like, what did I do? Like, you know, like, what did I do that I don't even know that I did or did I do something? Maybe there's something I did that I've, I've been hiding. I didn't even know I was hiding. I don't know. There's thousands of scenarios you're trying to figure out. And like, yeah, it was bad. So I was like, where were you? Why is your phone disabled? Like I tried calling you, I tried texting you and like, where did you act out in? And I was like, determined that he did. And he was like, what are you talking about? He's like, I just got back from tennis. And I'm like, I tried to call you and text you. And, um, and he, he's like, well, what do you, what do you, this was the best part. Yeah. Well, I, I, well, you were using some pretty colorful language. (laughs) You make it sound pretty G rated. Uh, it was not, it was definitely an R rated movie with foul language. Yes. uh, For all of those conservative Christians out there listening to this podcast right now, the reason why sweet charity used foul language is because the frontal lobe of her brain was shut down and her amygdala was sounding the alarm, danger, danger, danger. Your husband has gone outside the marriage. And so what happens when you lose your impulse control that's located in that frontal lobe is you don't even recognize yourself anymore. You are so out of, it's like an out of body experience. Mm -hmm. Is it not? Oh, hundred percent. That is not a moral issue, ladies. I just was emailing with somebody about this today. You're not a bad Christian because you lose it. It's you are triggered. You are flooded. You are overwhelmed. Your frontal lobe is offline. You have to get back to safety, but don't be too hard on yourself when you use that colorful language. Not that we want to become pervasively abusive, you know, but if you lose it, the last thing you need is a shame spiral yeah. because you lost it. Yes. Anyways, back to you guys. Oh, it's a good word. I'm glad you said that. It's a good word because we know when your prefrontal lobes are not on, you're not in character. Like you're yeah. not acting out of the godly character that we no. aim to achieve and, and, are, and have and, and all that. And so it, it's so true. So I guess in that moment, I was able to see past all of what she was doing. And because that's why I preface this with learning that she's seeking safety. Yeah. Even though she's kind of throwing word spears at me, I know like, okay, there's something else behind it. You're not just trying to attack me. You're not trying to, to get angry at me. There's something wrong. And I think it took that kind of education to understand that, okay, when she acts like this, she's looking for safety. So it isn't necessarily about trying to fix her situation or calm her down or do whatever I can to, to, really even get out of the hot seat. It's not about me being evasive from the spears. It's about me going, Hey, what can I do to make you feel safe? No amount of logic. We talk about this all the time, but no amount of logic is going to calm that person down. Mm -hmm. You know, like we, we talk about this all the time, but when you are that triggered, 
it's normally if you're like talking to a war vet and they believe that there's a war going on right now and they're on the floor, you can't keep saying, there's no war, you're not in war, there's no war, you're not in war. What that person needs is they need to feel validated in their experience so that they feel safe and comforted. And Clinton realized that. And so he wasn't trying to fight me with logic. Like I wasn't at a strip club. Like we would have just been like fighting. Like there would have been no, we would have just kept on hitting each other. I'm like, you're in a strip club. You were there. And he's like, no, I wasn't. I'm like, yes, you were. It, it, there's no moving forward momentum in that. And so Clinton knew that in his maturity and because he learned and he responded saying, the best thing I believe you can say is what can I do to make you feel safe right now? Like, what can I do oh, yeah. to come alongside you so that you feel safe? And, and he was the one who made the suggestion, like, can I call one of the guys who I was at tennis with and, and, and validate that I was there? And I was like, yes, you can. And I, first of all, couldn't believe that he responded that way. I couldn't believe that he had said that and offered that as something to um, help me. And because he didn't rebuttal immediately, my guards went down because when he was in sin and when he was hiding and in his addiction, he rebuttaled all the time would make me feel crazy, would fight it. Yet when he wasn't in his addiction, he would say, what can I do? I'll do anything. What can I do to make you feel safe right now? And in that he pulled up his phone. And what we realized was that our kids took our phone. And at that time we had like two toddlers and they grab our phones all the time and they disabled um, the like phone cellular cellular data. data. And so Uh then right when he turned it on, all of my text messages, everything turned back online. And I was like, oh my gosh, we're like, it must've been the kids. They must've been on your phone. They're, you know, playing around. And, and then even though I knew that he still willingly called the guy at tennis and the guy didn't answer, but he left a voicemail. And it was just so humbling for me to hear this because this man doesn't know our story. He doesn't know anything about Clinton's past, but yet Clinton went there and he said, Hey, I just, you know, my mom, my wife, I don't even remember exactly what you said, but pretty much. I was probably blabbering. I was yes. probably just trying to not get, you know, kicked out of the house. That- but it was just so humbling for him to say, just tell this man our story in a little voicemail, <laughs> voicemail. Wow. and just say, Hey, I need you to confirm that, you know, I was there playing tennis. And And after he did that, I didn't care what the man's response was because I knew that everything that he said was true and valid. I just went through a triggering moment and he helped validate my pain. He saw me, he met me and we were back to safety. And then it was over. I was like, thank you. So you just, what's the word when you, when you, is it a debt, is it detonate the bomb? Is that when you like disable a bomb or is detonate when it explodes? The detonate's exploding. Yeah, we don't want to detonate the trigger bomb. We want to disable it and good job disabling it in that moment, Clinton. That's phenomenal. So you validate, you recognize that what she needs in that moment is safety. And you humbled yourself instead of being defensive. Most of our initial responses when we feel attacked is to defend, Mm -hmm. right? But- in good recovery, the person with the unwanted sexual behavior can learn instead of defending to look at to that other person's pain, see what it is that they're reacting to instead of attacking their character in defense of your innocence, you recognize she's just reacting to feeling unsafe here. I am going to do whatever it takes to make her feel safe. And we always talk about broken, open, and willing bow is how you know that the person with the unwanted sexual behavior is actually recovering because their response 
is broken, open, and willing. And Clinton really displayed that. That's phenomenal that you had the wherewithal to do that. Yeah, yeah. And so were you able to sleep that night and everything, Charity? I mean, like, because oh, yeah. I imagine for a while you were like, ah. mm-hmm. what else did you do to regulate and calm down? Yeah, I feel like after that, then I just told him thank you. And um, it was a great trust building activity for us. And um, just added like one more block to our, our building of trust back up. And um, he hugged me and, and. I remember us praying together on the yeah. bed. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, no. yeah, I remember us going on the bed and just praying together and just, uh, you were, yeah, you were, we were pretty hyped up, but I think just calming you down and sitting with you and saying, you know, do you want to be together right now? I think we ended up, I think you either read a book by yourself. Like we both sat next to each other on the bed and you read a book. I just know what we like prayed for a little while on the bed. And then I think you read a book or something and then we ended up going to bed. That is amazing. So you co-regulated. Yeah. After, so, you know, when a lot of what we do with women is teach them how to regulate their, their pain and their trauma, right? Especially if the husband is not recovering, but then for a couple to come together and like do something calming and soothing together, like pray, P.S., couples out there listening, don't try to pray to use like, use it as like a spiritual um, bandaid or to use it to like put the other person in their place and be a Pharisee, you know, like, but the way Clinton and charity are talking about using prayer in terms of like prayer can be very centering and regulating, right. When you just, you come together. And I mean, did you guys hug, did you hold each other when you were praying or hold hands? Yeah, I feel like I, from what I remember, we hugged after he told me everything and I was like feeling really regulated. And then um, we were on the bed and I think we we're just holding hands together and we were just praying. And I think it was more so just like thanking God for where we have come Yeah. Mm. and just thanking him that the situation would have been a million times worse in the beginning. And I, and I want to remind you too, like we had so many bad experiences. Yeah. And that that's, you know, this situation was further down recovery uh, and yeah. where we had done a lot of work and personal growth and personal healing. And, and so it was something I think that, um, it took time for us to get there, but once we were there, um, then it was like something to look back on and just praise God. Like, thank you, Jesus, for where we've, where we've come because we've come so far and, um, I'm just so grateful for that moment. We think about it all the time. That is amazing. What other tools and and tips do you guys have for couples when they hit triggers? Mm. Um, I think it's really important to have your own kind of like game plan. Um, because again, like what we did was awesome and great. And I believe that you can get there as a couple, but in the beginning, more than likely, um, you need to have your own game plan for triggers and you can't rely on your spouse to, again, you know, co-regulate, um, your emotions. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of times, Kristen, it's, you know, a a trigger can be like you said, a bomb going off or even like a fire in your house. And so I think, you know, the, the thing is for our house, we have three different fire extinguishers in our house, right? I don't buy them because I know I'm going to have a fire. I hope I don't. Mm -hmm. And I like, I, we get fire retardant, uh, panels over our windows and we have fire alarms, but, but they're there just in case. And, and the thing is I have to kind of know how to use it before that ever happens, because when it happens, if there is a fire going off and I have no idea where it is or how to use it, I'm going to be kind of stuck. And I think that's what happens for both 
the wives and the husbands when a trigger goes off. They don't have any kind of plan beforehand. And so if we, you've heard the phrase, if we fail to plan, we plan to fail. And I think that's so true, especially with triggers, because if there's not something we've talked about before with a coach or with a therapist or with somebody, we don't have an action game plan in place to when we are triggered. And so a lot of it is the first thing we want to do is we want to understand what, what am I feeling and communicate that to somebody else. What is going on? We, we, you know, we can talk about what the trigger was. We can say, oh, I saw a billboard. Sure, that's good. That's kind of like reporting. But really, it's what did that make me feel, right? If, if Charity walks by a lingerie store, what did it make her feel? Did it make her feel unwanted again? Did it make her feel isolated? Did it make her feel sad that this is her life? Did it make her feel guilty of some regard that she feels like she can't look like that or be like that? And that's why the addiction took place. I mean, what is she feeling? Because that's really what's going on. There's a feeling underneath it all. And then it's reaching out to somebody safe and saying, hey, like, who can I reach out to with this feeling? Because if she comes to me and says, you're just mad that I can't look like that. Well, that might trigger me. And then I'm like, what? I didn't, I don't, you know what I mean? Boom. We're in a fight. I and mean, it happens all the time, right? Like how simple is that? Yeah. But it happens like that in a car, in a car ride, billboard, in a mall, wherever it's at. And, and so it's, it's really going, okay, I have these emotions. I'm aware now of what I'm feeling. And then I'm going to go to somebody. I'm going to regulate that emotion. I'm going to voice it to somebody. And I'm going to get in tune with God's truth. I think we come back to that all the time. The truth, truth is not whatever we make it. There is truth, right? And the, the truth is, is found in God's word and his promises of who we are in our identity as a believer and as a follower of Jesus Christ. And so when we come to that and, and Charity would say, or I would say, is this true? Is this emotion that I'm feeling, is it real? Because so many triggers are not grounded in truth. What we are feeling is valid and is real but it might not be grounded in reality, right? Charity might feel not beautiful, but the truth is she's gorgeous. She might not feel wanted, but the truth is I'm still here in the relationship too, and I'm not walking out on you to go live my life of whatever, right? And she even might, if, you know, even if for, for somebody who listens, even if your husband did walk out, it does, and yeah, even if yeah. you've gained 40 pounds from your last pregnancy, and mm-hmm. even if ad nauseum, your spouse's sexual addiction started long before he met you. Yep. And it doesn't matter what you look like in terms of why he acted out or why he left. The truth is that is about him. I know that feeling of rejection and that feeling of not being enough. I think all of us have it as betrayed partners, but his choices or his addiction are all rooted in his issues and not because of us. Yep, so true. And I think it's so important to run back to the identity in Christ. Yeah. Because does God does God say that we're beautiful or wanted based off our appearance? Absolutely not. Does he say that we are thrown away because we because the man walked out of our life? Yeah. You know, no, not at all. It doesn't we don't have value because we are married or divorced or things like that. We have an we have an innate value that God put in us, that he created in us and that he loves us. And so I think it's coming back to that again and again. And then, and then, and then we can do so much with it. And then there's just simple like steps, like deep breathing, and going outside, and taking in some fresh air, and putting your putting your feet in in some grass or some sand, and just wiggling your toes. Simple things to turn on all those senses in your body. Rest, uh, all, all these different things you can do. I'm sure you have a big list of of them yourself, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Because what is happening is, is your, your brain is flooded, right? With the stress. And, and we, a lot of times we'll think 
in order for me to calm back down after a trigger, I need to um, think right thoughts. But I love what you guys said, how you have to acknowledge what you're feeling, say it out loud, get safe with somebody else who's able to validate you, and then do bottom-up things bottom up meaning using your body to calm your brain so that you're you're not flooded and and that frontal lobe is not turned off anymore use some of these body based things i love what you guys said about putting your feet in the grass grounding you know and and deep breathing and all of that using the body to calm the mind and that's when we can really truly believe the truth right that god says is true about us but Easier said than done in that moment. I think it's really helpful to have like do practice some of those grounding strategy strategies you guys mentioned when you're not triggered. Because when you're triggered, if it's not a habit already, you won't even think about it, right? But if you practice some of these grounding strategies when you're already calm, it's more second nature to do it when you're um when you're triggered, right? Um, so Sometimes I hear people talk about having triggers and like wanting to avoid them because people assume that triggers are, you know, to be avoided. Like it's a sign that this is something I need to stay away from. Let's just say the beach, for example. Mm. Okay. I hear around spring break, a lot of people and in the summertime, like, oh my gosh, got to stay away from the pool and the beach. Like it's a huge trigger. And maybe there is a time to do that. Maybe in early on in recovery, you need to take a break from the pool and the beach, but, and, and it doesn't have to be that as an example, but what do you guys recommend for a couple, you know, to indefinitely limit the scope of their life? with things they enjoy, like say they, they love the beach and they like to go with their kids. And is, does it mean you forever lose places like that because the trigger is just too much? Or is there a way to kind of walk into situations? Not, I mean, I'm not, I am not suggesting to our listeners right now, go ahead and see all the R-rated movies with lots of skin in them that you want. But I think there's a difference between purposefully limiting yourself with, with exposure to content you know is toxic for you versus enjoyable things like it's like a beach or um, a pool you know it's tricky because it can feel like your life gets really narrow for a while early recovery right but Mm -hmm. how do you not allow the triggers to completely limit your life forever yeah I think you know we live in an over sexualized world and so there's no way that we can bubble wrap and go move into like no land, you know, where there's no people and nothing around. Um, it's just not reality. And, and we are going to see things and be around things, unfortunately, all the time, whether you go to a restaurant, um, something pops up on the TV in the restaurant, or it's the waitress or it's somebody at the bar, you know, um, you cannot get away from sex and it's being sold everywhere through our culture. And so I think it's more so about having the mindset of, um, okay, how do I live in this over-sexualized world? And because I believe that we are more than capable of with God and the fruit of the spirit um, to live and be light in this dark world. And so I think it's more so about, yeah, how do we live in it and be light? And um, yes, I would agree. You know, for a time, Clinton and I wouldn't go to very overpopulated beaches. Um, we lived right there. And so I think it's just, it's being strategic in where you go, what you do. Um, you know, Clint and I don't go to late night bars and, you know, cause we, there's nothing good there. Nothing good's going to happen. But if we do go to the beach, um, 
and we do, we don't anymore because we don't live in Southern California. But when we go visit, we do go to the beach and we don't go to overcrowded places. And, and I do know that there's going to be women there in bikinis. And so does Clinton and, and our goal and our hope is that, you know, that we just, God's going to give us the strength to, um, know that that doesn't define us in our relationship anymore. And, um, and I'm just having faith and hope in Christ, not faith and hope in my husband, um, that he is, um, not going to be tempted. Cause I, I, I truly believe that we are all going to be tempted human beings. It's what we do with that temptation that matters. Mm -hmm. And so uh, my goal and hope is that if we do go to the beach, we're going to enjoy a nice family time. But if some, if you were to ever be tempted, or if I were to ever be triggered by something that happened at the beach, then we would use the things that we have talked about on this episode after we leave the beach or that we would maturely say, Hey, can we move over to this spot? over at the beach and immediately I wouldn't fight it. And I wouldn't get mad and be like, Oh my gosh, like you were tempted. It was like, no, that's amazing that he said he wanted to move to a different area at the beach and see it as a positive, like, okay, he's, he's fighting and dealing with temptation. Let's help and support him so that we're not around people that are, you know, just, he doesn't have to constantly be like, okay, I'm going to look over here and only over here, you know? And so, um, I would, I would hope that listeners on here would hear that, um, we live a very fruitful life and, um, yes, has our life changed? Do we not watch certain things? Um, but honestly, I'm glad that we don't watch certain things anymore because just as a believer, like that stuff wasn't doing anything for me in our relationship. Anyways, if I'm really being honest, those things did more damage than good to our relationship. And they would cause comparison in our bedroom. And, um, and I really just think that we have now focused just on us and our relationship and nothing else. And, um, and if it is not edifying, encouraging, encouraging and uplifting our relationship, then we're not going to engage in it. So yeah. Do you want anything? Do you want to end Boom. That? That's great. <laughs> That's awesome. You guys. So the life that we can have as couples after sexual betrayal goes through our marriage can actually be far more fruitful, far more connected, far more hopeful, right? Better than it ever was before. And that's why your guys' ministry is called Restored to More. I love it. I love your mission. I love your story. You guys are amazing. Thank you so much for bringing so much value to our listeners and thinking through this topic of triggers. It is not a hopeless journey, you guys. You can build a better marriage. And if your spouse has walked away, you can heal from your triggers on your own also with safe community. Yep. Thank you so much for having us on. Absolutely, you guys. And so to our listeners, you guys stick with the process. It takes time. It takes patience, but there is hope. And until the next episode, I am holding out that hope for you.